0: Welcome to the Season 1 finale of The Theology of the Buddy Podcast, Episode 23. On this episode, Chris is joined by Catholic priest and military chaplain, Father Josh Stevens, to discuss spiritual warfare and his experience of working in the U.S. Air National Guard. Pull up a chair and join us at the table. Let's go.
1: Welcome to The Theology of the Buddy Podcast, Father Josh. Thanks for joining me.
0: Hi, how are you? Good,
1: how are you?
2: I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh man, well, we're so glad you're here, man. So we wanted to start off the podcast by, I guess, firstly introducing you, getting to know you a little bit. But you know, maybe we'll maybe we'll start by saying you and I have a long history—nineteen years of yes, we do friendship. <laughs> which makes me feel incredibly old. Um but uh, which it should. Yeah. You are incredibly old. Yeah, I am. I am. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I laugh at like the you know the the young adult events that happen in the diocese and they're like, you know, 19 to 30 and I just have the forever alone face you know <laughs> nice. uh, um but yeah so 19 years ago you and i met on campus at franciscan university for the young apostles training which was like a i don't know what you would call it like a
2: it was sort of a discipleship thing yeah. for the people that would help out with the youth conferences that weekend and you'd yeah. get there sunday or monday i don't remember when yeah and you'd be there all week and there'd be college students who would mentor you, and I guess yeah. other staff. I think it was mostly current college students. Yeah, mostly. And then wow. they would get you ready for the weekend, and then you'd get everybody all worked up on the weekend <laughs> and lead them around and help out and this and that and do yeah. some skits. And yeah, yeah, I thought it was a wonderful experience, yeah. and it was huge for my conversion. It was you know a big uh, conversion event for me.
1: For me too. For me too. Like I mean, I I kind of had my con- my major conversion before that, but I would say that those. Because we we actually randomly ended up on the same week two years in a row, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. But I mean, out of all the youth conferences, the fact that we that we connected over those two two weeks. But yeah, like for me, the the main takeaway I think that I learned from that week on Young Apostles was it it really inspired in me a love for prayer that I hadn't really had as much before like I remember being Amen. handed a booklet that was written by Bob Rice on prayer and it was just kind of like a prayer primer kind of thing and man like I took that home and I devoured it and it started a a daily prayer life that I didn't have before so I mean you know it was it was a great formation I think for especially for teenagers I don't know what it's like now but I mean back then, I mean, I got a lot out of that.
2: Yeah, uh, it's amazing. The same way I did, I got a ton out of it as well. It was just a few days. And I think the young people, uh, the, you know, the other young people started coming on Friday for the retreat or something, but yeah, just that Monday to Friday or whatever it was, was huge. And I had uh, two people from my parish there with me, one of whom occasionally listens to your podcast and he's the (laughs) worst. Yes.
1: Um, hi Mike.
2: uh, (laughs) For me, it was the fraternity and you're with these college students who are amazing and funny and Catholic and down to Earth and yeah. normal people who are living their faith in such a demonstrable way and setting such a great example for us, and then for me at least to go back to my parish and have two other people yeah. that I could live my faith with and see at uh, youth group and things like that, and just to support with all that, then it, for some reason all the prior conferences hadn't done the trick really for whatever reason. Right. And going back with them to the parish, I was like, all right, I guess I can really try this thing. Yeah, and then kickstart my senior year in high
1: school. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that must've been such a cool experience for me. I mean, I was kind of a lone ranger for a long time, you know, and that's part of the reason why I, I loved going back year after year to young apostles was because I was able to get that, that fellowship that I didn't have in the parish but uh, yeah, you know, before we before we jump too far ahead here, wanted our listeners to kind of get to know you a little bit. So, can you can you kind of dive into a little bit of your history, um, like where you're from, and uh, you know where you went to seminary and whatnot?
2: Sure, I was born and raised in Malta by the Illuminati, and I'm secretly <laughs> Pope Francis. <laughs> Uh, No, I was raised sort of in the mid-Atlantic area, which for non-Canadians is around Virginia, West Virginia, that sort of area. Um, I was born south of there, but mostly I was raised in that area and um, grew up for the longest time going to church uh, here in West Virginia. And that's where I'm a priest, very much a loving life. Uh, been a priest 10 years, be 10 years next month. So great. Um, But I went to a secular private school and then... um, had my conversion experience on Young Apostle, same as you. And I said, all right, I guess I can try out this Catholic thing. And while I'm at it, I guess I'll try out this priesthood thing. And I <laughs> went to Steubenville and I did their discernment program there. It's called Priestly Discernment Program now, I think. Um, I, I can't remember. And had it's, a wonderful it, it experience.
1: Was, it was the pre back then, right? That's what it was called. Right. It was a
2: pre program when I was there. Right. And, uh, so I went to Steubenville, had a fantastic time, learned a lot, prayed a lot, made a lot of good friends, all of that. And it was wonderful for me. And then I went to seminary at the North American college. Uh, but before I went to seminary, I did a year on net, uh, North the uh, net national evangelization teams. There we go. Got it right. (laughs) And, uh, and I just spent a year doing retreats for Catholic young people and the people on my team were amazing and the people on my year were amazing and the staff were amazing. All great Catholic people wanting to lead young people to Christ. And it was a hilarious transition from that where you're like going to every you know event, you're shaking everybody's hands, you're getting to know people, you're enthusiastic, all this sort of stuff. And then I show up at my seminary and my seminary is kind of formal And, uh, and you know, I was a little in their face. And so there were people (laughs) my year who that was their impression of me was week one, Josh, Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, through four years of seminary. So I, I would get evaluations from a couple of these people because we did peer evaluations. And I'd be yeah. like, why in the world do they think I won't do well with elderly people when I get to my parish? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's right. I was a little too in your face when I first came here. You yeah. he came out a little strong. <laughs> uh, and I'd get to my parish and, you know, things would be fine and get along fine with everybody and this sort of stuff. But yeah. they just had some funny idea for me that's of hilarious. me from that first week. And yeah, it was pretty funny. So <laughs> got ordained uh, back here in the U.S., both diaconate and priesthood, and yes. then have stayed within this state, uh, at least for my priesthood, you know, take trips here and there and that sort of stuff. But i right. um, done that. And then uh, four years ago, I was commissioned in the Air Force National Guard here wow. in West Virginia. And uh, I'm a military chaplain, but it's basically a weekend a month. Oh, wow. And- Yeah. And for anybody who cares out there, everything I say here is my own opinion, not the opinion of the U.S. Air Force or the diocese (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. Some people put that on their Facebook because they want to make it completely clear so that they don't get in trouble later, which is funny.
1: (laughs) I believe what the church teaches. That doesn't mean that the National Guard believes. That is my
2: goal. Yes. Believe and do as the church teaches. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Now, um, in your experience as a military chaplain, um, like how does that how does that differ from normal like priestly life, diocesan priestly life? It's a good question.
2: So the most time I've had uh, in a row as a chaplain or as a member of the military has been at training. I did a four week training to learn how to be an officer because all of our chaplains are officers in the U.S. military. And then I did a six week training on how to be a chaplain. And uh, they treat you the same as the people who are active duty. So who are full time military and they treat you the same as the reserves who are a little different from the National Guard here in the U.S. National Guard here in the U.S. is more tied to states. And then occasionally we'll go and do what they call federal status, which is we go with the active duty we go in deployments and things like that.
0: Wow.
2: Um, so when i went to officer training they treated me exactly the same as everyone else and i'm there with all these medical people doctors and nurses and i'm there with some lawyers and a couple other chaplains until they needed me for something and then it was oh chaplain chaplain why don't you come do this why don't you come help us oh could you do this benediction for us or whatever oh my gosh. and then the instant they didn't need me to pray or something like that in event it was back to lieutenant all right lieutenant get out there you know that sort of <laughs> stuff uh, they weren't harsh with us or anything because everybody had a master's and they wanted us there because it was, you know, you know, like I said, doctors and nurses and things and different professions that they really wanted in the military, in the air force, in the military. Right. So, uh, they weren't too rough on us or anything. Right. And then chaplain training was a lot like school, except it was longer. It was seven <laughs> or eight hours of class every day. Oh, wow. Basically lecture the whole time. But you know, they weren't terrible about it. They'd ask questions. There was back and forth and things like that. And it was very bearable. And you just basically did six weeks of classes with um, an exercise in there. I don't think it was the last week, maybe next to last week. And you would do a couple of the typical active duty things. Um, But it's a lot different from being a priest because uh, you're around the same group basically every day. You know, whereas in the parish, sure, there'll be some people around every day, but you see everybody on the weekend usually as a parish priest. and. They require different things of you. You know, your haircut has to be just right. You're supposed to be in shape and you're saluting people and being saluted, which is slightly different from the parish experience. Right. And uh, (laughs) at least in officer training. I was not used to being that busy the entire day because you'd get up at about 415 or so and you'd go do PT at 430 and then you'd get back to your dorm room about 930 or or so. And then I think we had lights out at 1030, but I don't remember exactly. Wow. Uh, So that was pretty different. And you're around these groups and you're treated just the same as everybody, which which is a nice break uh, just to be treated the same as everyone else. But there are still, you know, Catholics there and you're still father to the Catholics. Everybody else, you know, I was just Josh or lieutenant (laughs) or chaplain on rare occasions. And um, that was very interesting.
1: Would you say that there were things that you learned working in the military that you wish you had learned while you were at seminary? That's an
2: excellent question. I know one of the things I learned in training that I immediately thought of was, um, you know, again, it was sort of relearning how to prioritize because our day was very full, especially in officer training. And I would basically have to do all of my uh, breviary prayers and all of my prayers at the very end of the day because, you know, getting up at 4.15 in the morning, I was barely awake, so (laughs) I wasn't going to do it. And then you're just basically doing stuff until – nine o'clock at night, you know, you need lunch and you have a couple little breaks here and there, but you wouldn't be back at the room. And we weren't allowed to have our phones on us. So, you know, I had mm. my, my bravery prayers on the phone. Right. So that was good to relearn how to prioritize everything. Um, and there was a lot about leadership, which is very helpful for parish life Yeah. and how to, be a good leader in the military there are a lot of similar things with how to be a good leader in the parish taking care of people who work for you and taking care of your of things with your peers you know my brother priests and then being a good follower to the bishop uh, you know when it's appropriate you know he asked me to do something as the bishop you know in his official capacity great is very similar to following orders and it was a very good lesson when i came back to west virginia and I was at my base and I was talking to the head chaplain to remember, oh, yes, that's right. Even though we are very informal, you still have a superior to uh, myself relationship where, you know, they would give orders. It would be orders like, OK, go visit the people over in maintenance or something like that. And it's, you know, it's a good reminder of all that because at the parish priest side you're sort of king of your little parish in some ways and then occasionally you get reminded that oh that's right there's a bishop you know oh that's right i'm supposed to you know people can tell me what to do and that sort of thing and most of the time you know you you work with people but you don't have people ordering you around as much right
1: right, right. i um i heard recently um i don't remember where i it was some some talk I was listening to where they were saying that like in in Catholicism, um, we share kind of an understanding with what they what they do in the military where you always salute the office. You don't necessarily salute the man. So whether you know, like when it comes to, you know, say you have a bishop that you disagree with or whatnot, you still respect the office of that bishop even if he's not that great of a character you still recognize you know like he has been chosen by christ um you know and so yeah and the military is like that too like you 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 salute the you know your superiors or whatnot even if you don't absolutely. like them. <laughs> yes.
2: And and that's a that's a it, it's definitely a good analogy. Whoever said that, that's great. It's a good a very good analogy because there'll be people, you know, people you don't know. You know, if it's a big active duty base, you know, thousand people, I don't know how many thousand people could be there and you see somebody, yeah, you yeah, absolutely you salute the rank and they could be the biggest jerk or the greatest person and and you might never know in your lifetime. And yeah, people be saluting you, which is hilarious as yeah. a priest. Uh, <laughs> and yeah so you have all those things going on and the same with bishops yes have what they in the military they call it customs and courtesies and i find it very helpful yeah. so with bishops yes yes your excellency you know if they're an, a cardinal yes your eminence and you be courteous with them and that was one thing i really liked about being over in rome for a seminary was there were bishops coming through all the time and we even had a couple cardinals here and there uh, cardinal Aveda was there my first or second year He was staying with us before they made him cardinal and before he was head of the CDF and everything. Oh, wow. And uh, because he's, you know, American and they were taking care of his apartment, getting it redone before he went in and yeah, treat him absolutely with respect, the respect due to their office. But, you know, for all these bishops you know, I don't really care about them. They weren't my bishop, they weren't gonna do anything (laughs) for me or to me or any of this sort of stuff. So I didn't fawn over them or anything. And it wasn't a big deal to meet one because we met bishops all the time. You know, you'd be nice to them, you'd be courteous, but you wouldn't go out of your way for any of these sort of things for them because that was for their seminarians to do because they'd be visiting with their seminarians. And when our bishop would come to town, okay, you know, you have a big group and you go out to eat or something like that. And oh, you might have your uh, annual meetings with them these sort of things he might bring the vocations director with him and you have meetings with him and these sort of things and he's a big deal and you know you make sure you prioritize him during the week or two that he's there usually a week at a time for our bishop but other random bishops no you know I'll be nice to him I'll see him around I'll say hello that sort of thing but you know it's similar to your own officers yes you'd be nice to any officer or any enlisted person on base but the ones that you know the best yeah they're the, those are the ones that you prioritize and you do the most with and are you know, the most important in a day-to-day sort of way. And then randomly, occasionally, you know, maybe the commanding officer of the whole base, you'll see him and do stuff with him. And yeah, he's pretty important. But as um, priests and chaplains, we're also sort of weird, almost ambassadors to the military. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting uh, relationship because yeah. we're all sponsored by different churches, denominations, religions, because there's Muslims and Jew- Jewish, uh, Muslim and Jewish uh, chaplains as well as, I think there's a Hindu one in the Air Force. Just a couple different religions there. And so at any time, our sponsoring church or religion religious group can revoke that sponsorship and then you're out of the military. So like if the archdiocese of the military who sponsors all the Catholic priests all of a sudden pulled it or my own Bishop here pulled my endorsement then I'd be out of the military in a heartbeat. And also in a way the commanding officers and other officers and all these people, some of whom are technically my superior can come to me or come to the other chaplains and it'll be a chaplain to person relationship rather than just superior to, uh, you know, person that they command. Right. Uh, Which is really neat for us, because there's a lot of times where those at the highest level don't have people they can talk to, don't have people they can get counseling from, or it's very difficult for them to find those sort of people. And it's great for us to be there, especially for the officers, while at the same time being there for the hordes of the unwashed, also known as the enlisted people, for all those who are military folks who like to listen to your podcast. Uh, so it's it's a really interesting dynamic, and we don't usually command anybody, even though we're officers. Whereas all the other officers outside of medical and lawyers, because we're sort of our own non-combatant type group, um, they usually are are ordering people around and this and that and direct superiors of all these enlisted and this and that. So it's a different dynamic as well with everybody. And it's, it's very interesting and it's definitely the best job in the military. Just like being a priest is absolutely the best vocation. and Anybody who's not a priest is a fool, (laughs) right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I can attest to that. I'm totally married and I can totally attest to that. Um, No, but I, I had a question. So, so when you go in, you said you become a, director is that what you said not director what was the word uh like what's your rank when you become Oh, lieutenant lieutenant okay can you rise in rank
2: oh absolutely i'm a captain right now
1: oh are you okay okay and like how high up can you technically go as a, as a chaplain
2: i think the head of the chaplains for the air force who has been a catholic in the past i think but right now isn't is a general, and he's a one or two star general, I think. Oh wow. Um, I don't know if there's a head of chaplains for all the branches of the military. I don't think so. I think there's a a head of chaplains within each branch of the military. and I think they're usually a one or two star general. And for a long time, there weren't very many Catholic ones because there was discrimination for a while oh, wow. from the Protestants from some Protestants towards some of these Catholic chaplains. And then also more recently, there's the discrimination is gone, but a lot of times as Catholic priests don't have the time to go to all the extra trainings and things and do a lot of the extras because we're taking care of a parish on base. Or, you know, like me, I'm a full-time pastor and I have more than one parish. Mm. It's difficult for me to get away for a week to do military training and things like that. Right. So, it's easier for some of the protestant guys who may not have a church or who may be weekend only might be an assistant pastor or whatever at their church you know they can rise and rank in some ways a little more easily right but just, no just because of time priests right? who are lieutenant colonels and colonels which are just under general uh, who are priests just wow. like wow. i am
1: that's cool yeah that's that's neat is that something that you think you would want to do uh
2: uh, most likely no,
1: no, <laughs> uh,
2: I'm very happy being a pastor and my bishop is very happy with me being a pastor. Yeah. So it's very unlikely that I would be going active duty and rising in rank and all that. Right. Um, As they told me at chaplain training, you know, don't torpedo your future, even if you are focusing on ministry and not on rank and advancing and and all those sort of things, because it can be a very secular thing. And a lot of chaplains know we want to focus on being the best ministers we can be and being the best priests and different things that we can be. And we're all about just helping people and being there for people and all these sorts of things. So I'm not going to torpedo anything that God has for my future, but... No, that's not my focus. My focus is just being there for the people and saying mass for the Catholics and just being a chaplain for the folks on the base.
1: Right, right. And like you said, you're doing both. So you're doing that and you're doing your regular parish life stuff. Yes. So your you know daily masses and things like that, right?
2: Correct. It's basically one weekend a month and they let me come in early so I don't miss my weekend masses. Oh, nice. So I arranged my day off and a couple things like that. So that... I wouldn't miss time in the parish and it wouldn't affect my parish life because being a parish priest, it comes first because that's what I am first of all. And that's what God has called me for, called me to first of all. And then this is just a great addition to that ministry that God has called me to. And it's a beautiful thing. And I I love being with the military folks and it's, it's very different while they're still just people, you know, they have problems just like everybody else. And they have joys and, and difficulties and everything like everyone else.
1: Right. Right. I wanted to actually ask you about, you know, that that saying, I guess President Eisenhower mentioned it in 1954. It's kind of an anomalous thing. Nobody really knows where it came from. But the 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 uh, statement, there are no atheists in foxholes. Do you find that people who are engaged in the military are more open to the idea of talking about, you know, you know, even the four last things um, and, and things like that, or, or do you think that's, that's maybe a little different now at this point in time?
2: There was a chaplain recently who wrote a book on that line about no atheists and foxholes. I think it was more true in the past. And one thing that's very interesting that somebody told me, I don't, I don't remember when, but they were saying that the military as a whole, looks different every three to four years because a lot of the enlisted sign up and they do one tour as we call it, so they do three to five years and then they're out. So you get a new batch of enlisted every three to five years And, you know, currently that is why a lot of the time in the military, people couldn't care less about things like race and gender and sexual orientation, stuff like that. Because while there are some sticklers and there are some very conservative people, there are also very progressive people. And also a lot of young people, they've just grown up not caring about any of that sort of thing. Also, in the same way, there are a lot of atheists and agnostics and fallen away folks uh, who are in the military. And I've heard that I haven't been on deployment, but I've heard that on deployment, a lot of times it's pretty boring and there's not a lot to do. And one of the things that there is to do is to go to services and especially to go to church. So a lot of people have a little bit of a reawakening of their faith because there's not a whole lot else to do. And it makes their family happy at home. And, hey, you know, maybe they like the chaplain, so they'll give it a try, things like that. So they're more open to that. And then I'm sure there are a lot of people in combat who, yes, very much have a a reawakening of their faith or already were faithful and have that faith strengthened. And probably there are some that have that faith tested, just like there is in every other walk of life. But I think it is still the case that there are a number of atheists and agnostics who are not suddenly religious being in the foxhole, or at least say that afterwards. Um, I don't have any reason to question what they have to say, but there are so many more atheists and agnostics than there were 60 years ago or however many years it's been between now and 1954 because I'm terrible at math. Uh, (laughs) Me too. I did, you know, (laughs) theology for a reason. Um, No, there are still people who would not say that they became religious because they were getting shot at or anything like that, but there still are a lot of people that come to faith and there are a lot of people that convert to Catholicism within the military. And then for us chaplains, We're meant to minister to everyone, whether they're Catholic or Christian, you know, non-Catholic Christian or non-Christian or not religious in the slightest. So we don't proselytize. We don't push anything. And if someone comes to me and wants to talk about Catholic things, great. I'm very happy to talk about Catholic things. And. You know if it comes up in conversation or i'll make a self-deprecating joke about myself to let them know that i'm the priest on base things like that yeah uh, and, you know sometimes we talk about oh you know my wife is catholic or, oh you know my cousin married a catholic or things like that yeah. you know you can get it to come up naturally and as you've been on net ministries yourself you know there yes. are ways to work things in the conversation or to sort of have the conversation go places things like that right but no, there are going to be people who aren't interested in talking to you for whatever reason. Sometimes it's because they're actually doing a job and you're interrupting them. You, know, and you have to recognize <laughs> that. And that's part of being a chaplain as well. So, no, I don't think there's a, a magic wand. Anybody waves and all of a sudden everybody is immediately Christian and religious. But I think a, a number of people do come back to their faith and do become more active in it. And I want to say that the general proportion at least here in West Virginia, but also other places, there are more people openly active in their faith on a lot of bases um, because you do a lot of stuff as a community, and the mm-hmm. church is still a big part of a lot of communities on bases. And I think the military draws from it's going to be a little bit more religious crowd, especially a li- being here in the U.S., a little more Christian and Catholic crowd than usual. Like right. There's a number of homeschoolers in the military, for instance. Oh, wow. And, they get a a few vocations here and there in the military who go on, who want to be active duty priests and things like that. Um, I'm not sure how many go on to be religious, but there's probably some, and I don't know if there's any um, third order types, but there is a very interesting side of things in the military, and people love having their priest on base when they're deployed overseas or they're stationed overseas, or these sort of
1: things. And so, there's a lot of dynamics to all that, for sure. So, so you would say it is possible to remain solid in your faith when entering the military. You don't you you don't forfeit your, your faith by joining the military and whatnot. You'll still have access to things like the sacraments and whatnot, potentially, right?
2: Certainly, uh, it's not uh, guaranteed access because sometimes you'll be somewhere, like if you're in a Ford operating base in Afghanistan or something like that, the priest might come by once a month or once every couple months just because he's covering all kinds of places, but they're not gonna hold you back from it. You know, if there's an operation and like a mission And it has to go on Sunday morning and that's when the mass is and you're a part of your group and the group will do poorly if you're not there, then they'll they'll have to go on the mission. And if the priest, if he's smart, will say, well, yeah, this is what you're here to do. Go on the mission. I'll give you a dispensation for this time. You know, then you go on the mission with your conscience clear. Most of the time, though, a lot, most of the people in the military are not going out on combat operations or even being on the front lines. We're mostly supporting those sort of people or like in the Air Force, supporting the flyers that, you know, take the cargo places or fly bombing missions or fly reconnaissance or different things like that. So you're usually free on the weekend on active duty um, or have the ability to go to uh, mass on Sunday, even when they're. Their uh, whole schedule is completely packed. They still leave time so that you can go do mass and things Sunday morning. And if you're Jewish, you know, they'll, they'll uh, as much as they're able to let you go Friday night to, you know, Shabbat, Shabbat, you know, different yep. services and things with the Muslims as well. So they're as much as they can be. They let people practice their faith. And if it interferes, you know, like if you're uh, I think it's Jehovah's Witnesses who are conscientious objectors. Well, they'll be like, well. You know, we support the mission and the mission sometimes is dropping warheads on foreheads. So if you can't support <laughs> that, then don't join up, you know, but right. as much as they can, they accommodate people. And part of what we are as chaplains is to help people be accommodated. Like I helped um somebody by getting them in touch with the right person. Uh, who wanted to be kosher? Who keeps kosher, and how right. to be kosher while they're at training? So I made a couple calls because I happen to know a chaplain in the right area, and that chaplain took care of everything. I was just kind of getting people in touch with each other, and so that's part of what we do as well: is to help people to practice their faith as much as we're able to accommodate.
1: Right. Cool. So, so within within your own military training, did you did you see any like correlations between? Your military training and the spiritual life that that kind of stuck out to you
2: There were a lot of correlations between seminary and military training and they told us in seminary that basically the military academies Stole a lot of what they do from seminaries because oh, wow. you think about a high school college and then major seminary, you're, you know, you keep people for years and you have very regimented schedule and this and that. And you have people doing physically active things and prayer things. And then they're studying and all this sort of stuff. And they do the same thing at uh, military academies, although, you know, they don't force them to do spiritual things. But they, you know, want to have a balance. And apparently there are similarities between cadets and um, and, you know, seminarians and things like that, which is I found very interesting. That is interesting. And a priest was telling me about the time. But as for. The spiritual life, I mean, you have to make a priority of it, obviously, and it does teach you what is most important to you and does teach you to focus on what is essential. And it does, at least with the training that I was at, it does, you know, sort of get you to um, really make sure that you make a point of it and that it is something very important to you because it is easy in the military for people to fall away from their faith, just like it is, you know, they go to college or they just, you know live their life with their family and, you know, they have other things that they think are more important start taking up more and more of their time. And, you know, they start having less and less, you know, they started giving less and less priority to religious things, that sort of stuff. Um, in chaplain training, we had services every morning by a different person in the class, just to show everybody that they're able to do some kind of services. So the Muslim guy did some prayers in Arabic, the Orthodox Jewish guys, I think he did some prayers in Hebrew, We had a number of us priests, so most of us did mass, uh, just so people know what it would look like. Um, The Greek Orthodox guy did some prayers. I don't know if it was an acathist or what, but that was so neat because you're supporting, you know, your brother priests and different people like that, and you're seeing how people approach things differently, and you're saying, okay, I'm making a point of being there for this person to support them and have that fraternity with them. And then, as you know, you know, when we have this sort of fraternity, it helps our spiritual life. And when we have other things arranged in our life, like we're being physically active a little bit, we are studying and we have all these things in balance. It helps our spiritual life so much because, you know, when one part is out of whack, it wants to make all the rest of your life go out of whack as well. And, you know, make, you know, things differently make it difficult to pray and that sort of thing and just make everything more difficult.
1: Right. I I don't remember what, what it's called i think it's maslow's or maslow's hierarchy of needs yes right like you can't you can't lead somebody to christ if if they're hungry you know what i mean so like having having to address those those physical needs first is really important and you know i i'll be honest with you my my experience with military is 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 pretty basic i've got a close friend who's was a master corporal uh within the the canadian army cadets or uh, reserves excuse me um but he you know and then the rest of it is like hollywood movies and and whatnot but yeah like one one of the things that that has always kind of stuck out to me has been that in terms of dealing with the spirit with spiritual warfare, one of the things you always see <laughs> in these movies is that, you know, like i trying to think like for in Forrest Gump, for example, where, where Lieutenant Dan says to the boys, change your socks, make sure you're changing your socks all the time. You know, always right. have clean feet. There is that, that need for us to always be properly, caring for ourselves on a basic level, because if we don't do that, our prayer life, our spiritual life, we're, we're corporal, you know, we're, we're spirit soul or spirit and body composites, you know, like we're not, we're embodied souls. So we, we have to take care of those needs in Absolutely. order to, to do things. Yeah. I don't know. Like if you understand what I'm saying, but yeah. Like, sure. do you have any thoughts on that? And being
2: regimented helps so much for so many people having that daily prayer life and doing things as much as you're able to you know throughout the day and the same sort of schedule and having all that as a solid base and foundation and one thing i know that someone told me i don't remember if it was in a class or if it was at studentville somewhere i don't remember where it was but they were talking about one of the best ways that we can be assured in spiritual warfare, and be protected, and be basically keeping out evil influences as much as possible, God willing, is to have an active life of faith, to be praying, to be going to the sacraments, to be going especially to confession, Mm -hmm. not to have any kind of mortal sin on our soul, these sort of things, and to be actively pursuing the faith, because we're not giving the devil any kind of ground to stand on right and we're not having any of these sort of influences and as much as we can you know surrounding ourselves with good people and being good to them and these sort of things and not allowing any kind of uh toehold on our soul or on our lives right and i found that very helpful and i knew a young lady at seminary she was studying at the same university because we had classes in common with all kinds of different people And she had been very involved in a lot of deliverance ministries and things, I think, especially with the charismatics. And, you know, she was saying, no, if you have an active prayer life and you have an active life of faith, then no, you don't have to worry about a lot of the demon stuff and that sort of thing. Um, But those who are wishy-washy or who get themselves into graves and or who actively pursue the occult or things like that, (laughs) that's when you get a lot of these sort of problems. So if you... Do what your bosses in the military say. You're working out like you're supposed to. You're doing your job. You're doing your extra trainings and these sort of things. It's very analogous to all right, you know, you're praying every day as a priest. You're doing your breviary every day. You're going to confession regularly. You're doing your daily mass, all of these things. And you have that foundation and that base. It is very difficult for something to break into that from the outside and you're not allowing anything to break into it. Instead, you're going forward and pursuing that life of faith rather than backsliding or leaving it to the side or not making it a priority at all or these sort of things.
1: Right, right. Another thing that that comes to mind, you know, is the is the statement know your enemy. And whether that be like obviously the devil, but I mean the world and the flesh as well pose <laughs> equal or if not more challenges i think to us and so like i think there's so so much of that need to know who you are as a person i mean saint Teresa of avila makes it so clear uh in the way of perfection and things like that the the importance of self-knowledge uh in the spiritual life that you have uh, saint Teresa of avila (laughs) i'm just messing with you (laughs) i want to give your listeners a little heart attack there
2: (laughs) My poor car, my light heart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Um, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I loved uh, the screw tape letters for that. And one semester at Steubenville, that's what I took with me to my personal prayer every day. Oh, wow. When I was doing uh, time in front of the tabernacle, doing time. uh, time. I would sit there and I would go over a passage and then I would go, oh, yeah, I see that in my life. Absolutely. And then definitely in seminary uh, as well as at Steubenville it's, there's a a very big emphasis on knowing yourself and not to a narcissistic degree and not to a degree of overthinking, which we did plenty of anyway. But, so as you said, you know, okay, this is where I am tempted most. This is where I am most weak. This is where I have to watch, I have to do extra. This is where, okay, I just need to maintain my regimen and I should be okay and I'll just double check it once in a while. And also know ourselves. okay, these are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. And to try to have a real humility about it, rather than I'm the worst person in the world, or I'm the best person in the world, say, No, this is who I am. I'm nothing. I'm nothing compared to our Lord. But he says, I I am something he makes me something. And this is where I'm going to go forward, you know, and that sort of thing. And when we know ourselves, yes, I've told a lot of people in confession, you know, great, it's great that you know yourself so well, because they know they're a lot of their faults and their sins and where they're weak and then you know knowing that where the problem is that's an excellent way to go forward and grow in the spiritual life and to realize where they need to do some more work and where okay they can do really well and all right they love the early church fathers great read more of the early church fathers be inspired they yeah. love the Carmelites great read some more <laughs> of the Carmelites these sort of things Carmelites always just just for- <laughs> <laughs> All my Dominican (laughs) teachers say no. (laughs) And the Jesuits I had for a year say hard pass.
1: Hard pass. They say, what are Carmelites? Yes. (laughs) What's the brief again? What's prayer?
2: I had had great Jesuits. I I cannot complain. I had two at my seminary who were spiritual directors who were beyond fantastic. And they were in their 70s or so when I was there. And then there were some amazing Jesuits that that were there at the university. I attended my fourth year because I did – a three-year degree, and then we started working on another degree before it came back to the U.S. So there are some fantastic ones out there, in addition to some remarkably mediocre ones.
1: Exactly, uh, that's a very charitable way of putting it. Yeah, you were, you were mentioning the uh, the Screw Tape Letters by by C.S. Lewis. Um, there's also a fantastic book I don't know if you've heard of it um, by Peter Kraft. He actually wrote a Catholic version called the Snakebite Letters, yes. which is very it's it's very good to read as well. Yeah, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Have you have you read that before?
2: I haven't read the snake bite letters, no. no. But I did read the uh, screw tape letters while I was reading them in prayer.
1: Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> that's so
2: good. Yeah. Uh, I think the 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 screw tape letters are good for anybody. Probably the Catholic version is fantastic because Peter Kreeft or Kraft or however you say his last yeah. name, he's excellent. Um, I just like the screw tape letters because they they weren't specific. I don't f- remember to being Anglican or Protestant or anything. Right. They were sort of just generic to us as Christians and yeah. to how temptation comes at us, sometimes in the way of food, sometimes in the way of people, sometimes in the way of just the world and all these different ways, sometimes to try to get us to be, I think, more of ourselves than we should or different things like that. And I just found it, you know, as a very foundational way to look at all this stuff and a fun way to look at it. And it, yeah. made, it was a very light read yeah. while at the same time having so much depth to it.
1: No, exactly. Just Yeah, it it is fantastic. I love that book, absolutely. One of the things that you kind of mentioned before as well um, that maybe we can talk about uh, is uh, how
2: great i am yeah. i
1: agree let's talk about that <laughs> let's do it um no the <laughs> the question of the importance of a friendship um uh, brotherhood you know i've got like i said i've got this close friend of mine who you know master corporal in the in the reserves and the one thing that i that i admire a lot about him is that all of his military friends are all extremely close like they they do everything together now and they even though I think he's officially out of the army he actually was trying to join the navy now but I don't know if that that's happened yet or not but he and his friends have such close ties to one another and and I think that in the spiritual life I think it's it can be kind of easy to go it alone. You know, when we were talking about young apostles earlier, I actually, you know, my, my wife and I are preparing to move and I was going through the boxes and, and getting things cleaned out. And I found a prayer journal from 2001 and, and I was just, I thought, Hey, why don't I read through it? So I was looking through it and, you know, one of the big threads was, you know, begging God, like help me to find someone in my area who's catholic just anybody i'd take anybody you know and and i think whether it's self-imposed or or not going going through the spiritual life alone can be really difficult because you don't necessarily have that that guy watching your back essentially absolutely you know and so having somebody who not just on a basic level holds you accountable but who actually knows you who knows You know, like that you can share those, those weaknesses with, and you can say, Hey, like, this is where I've struggled in the past. You know, they can be able to say, Hey, are you, are you still struggling with that? Like, I see you spending a lot of time on the internet everything going okay yeah i i don't know like that's something Definitely. that i respect about the military is that at least from my experiences you know and even when you watch things like forrest gump you know forrest had bubba you know right. we, we we all need a bubba <laughs> in our lives you know to kind of watch our back do you do you agree with that
2: oh absolutely agree 100 they they made it clear to us especially in seminary but as well at franciscan university there at studentville about the importance of fraternity and i would agree 100 you're not only surrounding yourself with the people who lift you up and make you want to be a better catholic and then you do the same for them in turn but also like you said people who know you and who can call you out on your nonsense
1: yeah and
2: you can have fraternal correction and also, people, yes, who will lead you forward and you can lean on them and they can lean on you and these sort of things. Um, it's especially important as a priest because it can it can be a very isolating experience, uh, similar to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You have people at your parish and, you know, you might have people in town that you meet with, maybe other ministers or things like that. But it's not quite the same as when you get to meet with your brother priests right. who understand, oh, yeah, hey, I'm a priest in the parish. I know what you're going through, even if I don't know everything about your assignment or everything you're going through, but they can be there for you. And then to have the close friends who are priests, who you've right. known for years and years, yes, you know that can really build into a great friendship to really help you through difficult times. And you can be honest with them. And it's not like we're lying to parishioners, but a lot of times parishioners don't need to hear about all of our difficulties and things yeah. going on. They don't need to hear about our struggles and such. And, you know, I'm honest with my parishioners that I'm not perfect in the slightest. And, you know, I'm not amazing at everything or that sort of stuff. But it doesn't mean you need to be going, oh, and by the way, these are the sins I struggle with. (laughs) There's things people need to hear, things people don't need to hear. Yeah. Um, But, you know, with the fraternity and things, yes, I think uh, for many time in the military can help with that sort of thing. And yes, there can be, you know, special bonds that grow as, uh, you know, go with friends and things like that. And one of the neat things about the national guard is a lot of times, unlike the active duty military, some of these people join up and they do 20 years at the same base, whereas the active duty, they might be moved around every four or five years. So over that 20 years, there might be other people there that you've known for 20 years, sometimes longer. So yes, a lot of times there are Great friendships. Um, But the thing that I thought of, first of all, when you're talking about doing going it on your own and doing things on your own, I think it was St. Anthony of Egypt when he had the hermits, he made everybody live in community first. And they had to learn how to live in community and they had to learn all those virtues and they had to learn all of those skills and these sort of things. I think it was mostly on the side of the virtues before he would let them go and be a hermit on their own right? and let them go and pray on their own. And I thought that was just fascinating because uh, as you know, doing things in community is so different than when we're on our own. And yes, we have to be thinking of others and yes, we have to accommodate them and all these little things that go on. But especially as a priest on his own in a parish, you know, I don't think about it. I have the rectory to myself. I go to bed when I go to bed. I eat when I feel like eating. And then, you know, I have family visit. I'm like, oh, that's right. There are other people in the world. I have to wait for them before I eat lunch, you know, things like that. (laughs) Right,
1: right. I think I think hearkening back to I think both of us probably had a similar experience on net too, where I think net is a huge shell shock (laughs) when you're suddenly going from, you know, being your own guy to suddenly being on a team stuck in a van for 12 hours, you know? Yeah. You can't get away with (laughs) wanting to do your own thing very well. Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yes. Maybe your day off. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The fraternity on net, I think was that was one of the greatest things, you know, spiritual life prayer life absolutely growing in your faith growing in understanding absolutely and i think for a lot of people there it's even more than it was for me because i went into it from studentville with a degree in philosophy and basically a degree in theology so i knew a lot of the stuff they were teaching at least on the purely teaching the faith side. But learning fraternity was huge for me there because I made friends for life who I still speak to on occasion and still do things with. And, you know, I've gone to a couple of their weddings and that sort of stuff. And you absolutely cannot make it through the whole year without really growing, especially with, you know, with your brothers, if you're one of the guys or with your sisters, if you're one of the gals. And you learn, yes, there are things that you share with the women on your team as one of the men and there are things you don't share. Some of your struggles and things. Yeah. Uh, some of the men in my team, we would, t- you know, they talk about, you know, attractions they had and this sort of stuff, <laughs> or problems they yeah. had with maybe a girlfriend back home, or these sort of things. And that was not stuff that you shared with the sisters on the team, even though you would share very um, personal things like your uh, faith life until that point or, you know, your history or, okay, you know, maybe, you know, uh, maybe someone on the team had experienced some very deep difficulties. And, okay, you know, maybe they experienced some difficulties with family or different things like that. You know, yes, you would absolutely share and grow in that way and call them your brothers and sisters. But there were things that were just for your brothers or things that were just for the sisters. And I found that extremely helpful. Because it, it's something that society doesn't teach as much. And a lot of mm-hmm. times, especially as we're fed by Hollywood or by other people, oh, everybody is the same, everybody's equal, share everything with everybody. Yeah. No, we're meant as men to have male friends if we're able to. we meant as women to have female friends because there are going to be things that they only they understand and think ways they're able to support us right. uh, in ways that people of the only other gender and sex there is uh, are able to <laughs> You know, do for us and with us, and these sort of things. Yeah. And it's uh, it can be very unhelpful and it can be counterproductive to be oversharing or sharing the wrong things or these sorts of, or those sort of things.
1: Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. I mean the the thing that I mean for me, I when I was on debt, I was going into it fresh out of high school. I was an, a straight up spoiled only child who got nice. away with everything. So like when I went on net and they announced the teams and I was on a team with people. I didn't know who I wasn't close with through all of training. It was, it was hilarious. Cause it, I, I, I just remember it was like a scene from a movie. They announced the teams and I'm just like, in this room and like suddenly the room goes black and i'm alone and I'm like, oh no a whole year with these people you know so i mean it, it's such a great opportunity to grow in that way and to yeah. learn to love in ways that you didn't think was was possible you know what i mean absolutely. yeah absolutely
2: and it, to go out of your comfort zone oh, and yeah. to and to grow in ways to say all right the lord is calling you to this Uh, It doesn't matter whether you like it or not, or it's your favorite thing in the world or not. He's calling you to it. You got to put on your big boy pants and go out there and do it, you know, grow and grow with these people, even if, like you said, they weren't the people that you were the closest to at training. This is where, you know, sometimes God calls us to do things and we just kind of have to cowboy up and do them.
1: Exactly, exactly. And and I guess that's kind of also kind of tied into our topic today, too, with spiritual warfare, that, you know, sometimes, you know, like you were saying, there are things in our lives that may be things that we enjoy, but may not be totally healthy for us and not be actually, you know, helpful in the spiritual life. And it may not be that it's a a sin per se, it may not be venial or mortal, but it may be something like a vice that, that we're attached to, you know, maybe we like to spend a little too much time in front of the TV, or maybe we like to, you know, eat, you know, comfort eat or things like that, or, you know, whatever it be, there can be these things in the spiritual life that, um, where we just have to kind of say, you know what? No, I'm not going to, to give into this, Desire or this emotion or whatever, um, and I'm going Absolutely. to to assent to do the right thing, and whether a that lot means, of fat priests out there, yep, yep, <laughs> have to say yep,
2: they kind of wearing <laughs> some of that on their sleeve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and everywhere else, but yeah, yep. it's and, uh, it's. Bad. I was definitely one of them uh, not long ago, and praise the Lord, the Lord <laughs> called me to the National Guard stuff, and I was like, oh, okay, I gotta get rid of all this awful fat, you know, yeah. got rid of a bunch of it, not all of it. But no, absolutely there are things that are not great for us. And that is one of the beautiful things about Advent and especially Lent is to take that look at ourself and say, all right, what am I doing too much of, which while not sinful in itself, I can cut out and have it be penance and then realize, okay, maybe going forward, I do less of that right. so that I can not only be more penitential, but maybe more focused on the Lord, maybe a little more time for prayer, maybe a little t- more time for family, right. these sort of things. And I think it's part of why a lot of people experience a lot of spiritual attacks in Lent and then experience a lot of sort of attacks from the world or even attacks sort of from themselves you know like people going through caffeine withdrawal when they give up caffeine <laughs> yeah. for Lent and <laughs> it's a great wake-up call you know just say okay all right you know maybe I had been drinking too much coffee okay maybe I was watching too much TV yeah okay maybe I'm hanging out with the wrong people maybe I'm you know like you were talking about before okay maybe I'm on the internet too much any of these sort of things, Right. Yes, it's a fantastic time to wake us up for that and to realize, okay, yes, we are still broken human beings. We still need God's grace. And then, boom, Easter happens. Oh, wonderful. Time of resurrection, time of joy, celebrating yeah. the Lord, <laughs> and hopefully growing even more in our faith. Yeah, And it's time really to focus on, oh, all right, all these beautiful things he's doing for us, while at the same time maintaining the rest and everything.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, so you know, I wanted, I wanted to ask your thoughts right now. I mean, there's a lot of Catholics out there, especially, you know, our trad listeners and whatnot have a, are having a really hard time with the current state of the church. And I think any, any, you know, yeah any Catholic looking at the state of the church can say, there's something, there's something wrong. Something's, something go- has gone amiss. In your experience, you know, especially in the military, like, I know that for a lot of Catholics, they can look at this situation and they can say, essentially experience a hopelessness, a, a sense of this is never going to get better. But I mean, you know, I, again, like I said, <laughs> from my very limited experience, you know, there's always that, Id- that idea of like, you have to keep focused on the mission, you know, you have to keep focused on, and, and remain in line with what your superiors are are wanting you to do, despite what is happening with everybody else. It's important for you to you know remain on mission. Yeah, what what would you say uh, to a Catholic who may be struggling and finding that the current state of the church is really weighing heavy on them, and especially even in their prayer lives and whatnot? Um, they just kind of feel and are experiencing this sluggishness or almost a despair in light of everything. Like, what would you sure. say to them?
2: I agree. I, I agree. The military analogy is a good one because you do need to focus on what your job is and you need to focus on what you're in charge of. And you need to focus on what you're supposed to do and trust that other things are being taken care of. Definitely believe that in our um, in our way as Catholics and in our vocations. You know, you need to focus on your wife. You need to focus on your work. You need to focus on what God has put into your life as your purview, and and let go and let God for a lot of other things. I, as a priest, yes, you know, I can look at, you know, okay, let's see what the bishops are doing, what the Pope is doing in the church throughout the world. And oh my goodness, what is the church in Europe doing and these sort of things. But at a certain point, it's sort of like politics where it's just going to drive you nuts and it's going to make your heart pressure go skyrocketing and things (laughs) like that. And to A large extent, we need to focus on what's within our purview. And I need to focus on my parishes. I need to focus on, you know, myself, what God wants me to do personally. I need to focus on what he has put into my life. And then, okay, you know, maybe I'll talk on the Internet with some people about, you know, the state of the church. Maybe I'll do this or that. But we need to be able to step away and say, all right, what is God calling me to do today? All right, I have sort of an idea what he wants me to do tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. Let tomorrow's worries stay tomorrow and just do what I can you know maybe people want to talk to me about certain things happening in the church Great, I'll talk to them about that. But I don't need to be going around and have that be the only thing I'm ever talking about and dragging myself, you know, through the mud or dragging the church through the mud or having my emotions be all over the place and this and that. Because, yeah, we need to focus on our vocations and what God calls us to do and say, OK, God has guaranteed his church. He has founded that church on Peter, Jesus himself. And he's, he has guaranteed that church and said the gates of hell will not prevail against it and i think that's where a little bit of context can help as well because you know a lot of people myself included only knew john paul ii yeah saint john paul ii the great <laughs> and then when i was in seminary it was right when pope benedict was coming along fantastic and it can be sort of a shock to the system to have someone be different like pope francis who has yeah. a different emphasis and has a different style who is not a teacher of philosophy not a teacher of theology like John Paul II and Benedict XVI, and instead has a different way of doing things, isn't always as precise in his language and these sort of things, as academic in his language, all that sort of stuff. And yes, it can be a shock to the system, but at the same time, we have to remember there were popes who sort of had wives on the sides and they had whole (laughs) families and things. Uh, We had Pope, I think, Urban II, who was going around the Vatican city-states conquering places and getting into wars and this sort of stuff. Or we had the times... Uh, when the and uh, em- when the armies were invading in Spain and into Austria, and it looked like there was going to be a caliphate in Europe or something like that, you know, times of existential uh, threat, like the barbarians coming down and taking over the Western Roman Empire, and oh, it looks like the fate's going to get wiped out, or the early church where they're persecuting all the Christians, this and that. Yeah, it's good to look at it in context and say, okay, what is going well, what is going <laughs> poorly. Yeah. Okay, that's all great now what is going on in my life and in my local area and in my local church, maybe my diocesan church, maybe my order, you know, these sort of things. And to say, all right, what can I do? What can't I do? What is God calling me to do? And then say, all right, Lord, I'm gonna let you worry about the rest because it's just making me crazy. And it's way too easy to drive ourselves crazy and be thinking about the universal church. Okay, that is God's job. He's taking care of the universal church. We are called to do our best where we are And whatever he puts into our lives, sometimes he's going to call on us with the Holy Spirit and want us to do maybe a little bit more, maybe to encourage some people here and there, maybe even encourage some people online, encourage people in our daily life, calling us to pray, to go to the sacraments, calling us to do all these sort of things, you know. A lot of people have, you know, babies raise them up in the faith and that's going to be amazing for the future church. Maybe it's like you're I remember one of your episodes talking about the Carmelites and growing in that and growing in your community and how that's helping these people. And they're growing in their faith and they're going to help other people. And it's going to have, you know, bearing fruit a hundredfold. Wonderful. That's going to be amazing for the church as we go forward. And if we just focus on reading things and freaking out, then we're going to be missing out on so much Mm -hmm. and we're going to make ourselves crazy. And instead we should say, no. All right, Lord, I'm going to do what you call me to do. And yes, it's good to be informed on things. I don't have to go full. What is it? Benedict option or something. Cut myself off from the whole world or whatever. (laughs) But yeah. There needs to be a center that we need to find between the extremes and be there with the church in the center who doesn't want to be at one extreme or the other of, you know, being completely hermits or completely in the world as some other denominations are more likely to do. But instead be, okay. we're going to be here. This is not a time of existential threat. We're not having the Muslim armies come and conquer the Vatican City or anything like that. (laughs) There are plenty of threats in the world, but we're going to let God do his thing and we're going to support him as much as we can. He's going to support us a ton and we're going to support his mission in our day-to-day lives. And sure, you know, on occasion, it's good to talk. Like I, I occasionally talk with some of my brother priests. All right, what's going on at the Nuncio? What's going on in the Vatican? What's going on in the American church? But you know, that's not worth a whole lot. It's not worth nearly as much as saying, all right, what's going on in my parish? What can I do in my parish? All right. right. Some people in their families, okay, what can I do in my family? These right. sort of things.
1: Right. It's it's so important to just be obedient to the duties of your own state of life, right? I mean, there can be that that temptation to, like you were saying, look outside of your purview, and it's so it's so important to instead not necessarily become completely myopic. It's not saying right. don't be aware of what's happening in the world in the church, but recognize that the only way for us to really, at the end of the day, help what's happening out there is by seeking what is excellent, good, true, beautiful in here, in this, you know, in this state of life that God has called me to, you know, whether that be marriage, whether that be priesthood, religious life, single life, whatever, you know, we, it's our job to do (laughs) those things and do them well, you know, even the most mundane things like, you know, doing the dishes and vacuuming the floors and all of that, you know, like Therese would, St. Therese would have you do, do it with, you know, great love, you know, small things with great love. So, I mean, if we do that well, really, you know, we were kind of talking about this before, you know, the world in the church is, is kind of chaotic right now. But I mean, if you look at our own interior castles, they're a mess, they are a complete mess. So it's important for us to get our own interior castles cleaned up before we start looking and trying to solve the problems in the world and the church, you know, cause Completely. we're never going to be able you know,
2: to, there's, a, it, it can be a plank in our own eye. We're out there trying to pull the splinters out of everybody else's eyes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've heard of some folks who are the biggest Catholics in the world online, and then they're skipping Sunday Mass in their personal life. You know, you can try to be some crusader online and, you know, be stand up for the faith and we're teaching the faith and all these sort of things. And like you said, your personal life be a complete mess. Well, who is that helping? You know, you need to to a certain extent focus on yourself you know and say okay all right lord what are you calling me to do how can i pray more and those prayers are of such great value okay maybe my priest isn't doing everything how i want him to how can i pray for him and support him and then if it comes up maybe say all right father why are you doing such and such these sort of things right. and you know I, I you know maybe i want to help some people online, maybe I want to help some distant family, these sort of things. But yeah, we have to start with ourselves and how God can change us and how we can, we can go and do things according to his will. And then all right, then okay, we'll take care of the other people that he puts into our life and then go from there, rather than, you know, trying to do everything or being our, idea of what it means to be a Catholic rather than God's idea of what it means to be a Catholic and,
1: right
2: oh you know, blah 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 about the Pope and this and that and these sort of things and in our <laughs> own personal <laughs> life you know we haven't made a confession in three years you know yeah. that is not you know what he's calling us to do exactly. and we're just kind of preaching to the choir sometimes and that sort of thing and instead we should be all right go start with ourselves first and start with our vocation start with the people involved with that
1: and you know go from there true Awesome, well, that basically brings us to the end of our our time today, Father Joss. Thanks, thanks so much for hanging out, man. It's been so good. You're welcome, Mister Chris. <laughs> hey, um, I just wanted to point out as a little bonus tidbit. So I get razzed on in the podcast all the time uh, by by Aaron and whatnot because I how horrible I you know tell them
2: they're the worst people. I know.
1: But I get <laughs> I get razzed on because of my choice of music. I want to point out that you were in part your involvement in that is is very key. I recall <laughs> in 2000 you and I were sitting in uh what was it? Not Bonaventure, but the other one, and we were just hanging out and we were talking about Christian music. And you said, "Oh, dude, there's this uh, Christian punk band that I'm into from back home," and you showed me a Christian punk CD, and yep. uh, it led me down the dark and stormy path and (laughs) uh yeah so just want to say thanks for doing that (laughs) you're welcome
2: (laughs) i don't listen to them as much but there's a couple that i'll listen to here and there and i haven't found much catholic punk there's but there's still or or metal or whatever but there's still some christian stuff out there and i'm still entertained by it and i went to so many concerts especially my senior year after my conversion because there were people some uh the rock for life people there was one gal who knew all the christian bands that were coming to the area and oh it was so much fun and uh got such a kick out of it just being there with um all the people and everything sometimes they'd have it in a church there would be like a baptist church and they'd be in the church and they'd have a concert hilarious
1: yeah it was it was good times I, i remember especially in high school like those church concerts where like thousand foot crutch and people are like jumping on the pews and breaking them and (laughs) i felt so bad for them but at the same time they were they were some of the best times you know (laughs) but uh oh man yeah so yeah i just want to say thanks for doing that (laughs) you're welcome amazing so uh yeah again thanks so much for for joining me on the podcast today god bless you yeah thank you all right take care you too.
0: Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast, and for all of the support you've given it over the last 23 episodes. We are so grateful for every download, follow, email, and comment you have shared with us. If you liked today's podcast, and would like to hear more from Theology of the Buddy, we'd love to hear from you. Message Theology of the Buddy on Facebook, or DM on Instagram by searching at Theology of the Buddy, or email the boys at theologyofthebody@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And let us know if there is a topic you'd like us to discuss in the next season. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please also consider subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Also, would you please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes? We'd so greatly appreciate it as it helps this podcast to get noticed within iTunes. Keep up to date with us by following us on social media to know what is coming next for the podcast. Until then, stay tratty!